0: Welcome to Widowcast Podcast, where you learn how to find the strength to get through your journey and the skills to coach other widows. This is not your average grief group. This is your journey group. It just may show you the way to make something amazing come out of the emotional pain and trauma of widowhood. I'm your host Joanne Philomena. I'm the best-selling author of Widowed and Widow Coach, and I'm a Professional Certified Life Coach. Let the healing and your personal journey begin. Welcome back, friends, to Episode 122. Listen, today is not even my regular day to podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and do this one. Um, I'm actually supposed to be making videos for the subscription site at Widow Coaching Center, and I really should be doing it because I've got my hair all perfect, nice, and I my makeup's on, and I look beautiful for video, and then I had a couple calls to make before doing the videos, and on one of those calls, I spoke with a, a widow who is very interested in becoming a certified widow coach. She's going to take my next class. But she was raving to me about my book, Widowed, and how authentic I was, and how open and vulnerable, and how she learned so much from it. And I won't go on and on, although I would love to tell you everything she said about it. It was wonderful to hear. But here's the upshot from that. It made me realize how that book was designed to reach out to newer widows and really show them not just the connection from widow to widow but that they're not crazy for the things that they're experiencing and that made me want to jump on and do a podcast episode for duly widowed and to expound a little bit on my own experience of that and to talk about the widow pass Um, because I had somebody else recently bring up, now that I know I have a widow past Joanne, which I love. So I'm going to share a little bit with you from the book Widowed. I might um, expound further on a few things. I just want to give you a little taste of what I experienced in those first hours, days, and weeks So that if you are recently widowed, you can look back on this experience and go, Oh, yeah, I wasn't crazy. (laughs) Unless we're all crazy together, which is a possibility. In this book, I talk about, it was 1991 when Jim and I met online in the infancy of the internet, 3,500 miles apart. So it was the internet I returned to when he suddenly died 22 years later to continue to tell him the things I was no longer able to run home and say to him. That's the opening paragraph of my book. I talk about the fact that we had been chatting in the kitchen together in the well-warm comfort of married life. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. In the book, I said he was making himself a cup of coffee because it was too um, complicated to try to explain that he was making cappuccinos for both of us because he had his espresso machine, which was something that was near and dear to his heart. He had spent many, many summers in Italy and um, loved his espresso machine. After he finished making our espressos, he handed one to me. And took his and said, I'm going to go upstairs to read. And I said, perfect. I've got things to finish up here in the home office. And I came into my home office and sat down with my coffee. And then I heard a thud. And at first, I didn't even run upstairs. I ran to the basement steps. For some reason, my brain just said, "You know, when you fall down, it's going to be down the basement stairs." <laughs> and I ran to look down the basement stairs. Immediately realizing, no, no, he said he was going upstairs, upstairs. And I ran upstairs, found him on the bathroom floor, rolled him over. He was his lips were already turning blue. He wasn't breathing. He was pulseless. I dialed nine one one. Um, they tried to talk me through CPR, which was not going well. I was not formally trained in CPR, but they're trained in how to talk you through it. I do remember yelling at the phone on the floor next to me and saying, lady, you just need to get the guys here because I'm crap at this. (laughs) And I really, you know, I knew that I knew that's what it was to not to make a long story of this that they showed up, they tried to resuscitate him. They took him to the hospital emergency room. I drove there. The doctors explained to me that there was no brain activity and he was gone, right? I said goodbye to him. I came home, sat down in my living room chair and I looked at the clock because I knew what time I had dialed 911. I looked at the time on the, the phone when I was dialing and when i came home and sat down i looked at the clock and realized oh my gosh it has not even been an hour not even an hour ago we were in the kitchen together chatting while he was making cappuccinos and it felt to me so strange like it really should take longer to die you know um I have talked about the fact that less than 48 hours later, it was New Year's Eve, and I was sitting on the living room floor, raising a glass of wine to 2015, and it was not at all how I expected to bring in a new year, right? I did not expect I would be bringing in 2015 all by myself. Um, And it made me reflect back on new year's eve 2014 because i thought oh the last time we celebrated new year's eve together jim didn't know it was the last year of his life literally he died on december 29th so that was his last year to live and i wondered for a minute like if he knew if he had known this was his last year to live what might he have done differently And I realized almost right away that he wouldn't have changed anything because Jim always lived his life on his own terms and exactly what he wanted, right? As women, we're more giving, we're more flexible, we compromise. Men often do not. And Jim certainly did not. He lived his life on his terms. And I realized, well, he just got the most out of every day that he could. He wouldn't go back and change anything, really. And it made me realize, oh, I don't know that this isn't my last year on the planet. I can't know that. There's no guarantees. And at that very moment, I vowed to live 2015 as if it were my last year on the planet. I felt like I owed it to Jim to live my life in 2015 the way he always lived his life. Every day would count. Every day would need to bring me some kind of joy. And that changed the entire trajectory of my grief. And it became an integral part of my own process. 2015 was going to be my year, my year alone to find joy again. Now, understand that on that New Year's Eve, when I made these this vow to myself, right, to live 2015 as if it were the last year of my life, I was still wrapped in that protective layer of cotton batting around my brain, that fog that we are immediately wrapped up in. It's our brain throwing us into a state of shock. You are physically in a state of shock that is meant to protect you. Your brain is trying to protect you because it knows the pain of your grief is too much for you to experience all at once. So it wraps you in this fog, in these layers of cotton and gauze is what it feels like to slowly start to let in the knowledge and the loss. Others have told me that because they know women who are widowed, that they know what widows feel, but this is not true. Or I have others tell me, you know, I've, I've not been widowed, but I'm divorced, so I kind of know what you're going through. And I always think to myself, oh gosh, no, you don't. It's two very different things. I've been through both. <laughs> so I can assure you, going through a divorce is not even close. A widow will rarely tell anyone exactly what she's feeling. It's too raw. It's too painful. We can't verbalize that, right? A widow will even shield others from her pain, especially family members. And that's why I launched my podcast, Widowcast, this podcast. And it's why I wrote my book. I wanted to to do those things and just expose all of my own vulnerabilities. I told myself when I first launched this podcast, there would be no holding back. There would be no trying to act like I knew everything. There would be no trying to act like I was special in any way because I'm not. I'm a widow, just like all of you. And so I wanted to be as open and vulnerable about this as possible. Because I know that to help other widows with their experience, I needed to do that. I needed to allow other widows to begin to open up the same way. That way we can all learn from and support each other. So in my book, I share a lot more of my personal backstory. And if you want to read that, you can pick up a copy of Widowed. If you search Joanne Philomena on Amazon, or go into your local bookstore. If they don't have it on the shelf, ask them to order it for you. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on my own story because this book was written more for you, all of you, than it was written for me. But I did want to share my story so that you would be able to connect with that and understand and go, oh, yeah, I remember when it felt like my head was full of cotton. I have talked to widows about the fact that the night that Jim died and I came home and of course, as I sat there stunned and I thought I have to make phone calls. I have to let his sons know and I have to call my daughter and I want to call my sister and her husband I, you know, there's people that I need to just let know about this right away up front. So I started picking up the phone and making those phone calls and here's what happened. I heard other people start crying. My sister and her husband were sobbing when I told them Jim had died. My daughter was choking up and teary. I was not crying, and I wondered about that. It wasn't because I felt like I had to console them. Which, of course, I did. When people start crying, when you tell them, all of a sudden, it's like puts it on you, the widow, to try to console them, which is kind of backwards, but it happens. But here's the thing. I sat back and thought, why am I not crying? And I even questioned in my mind, like, did I not love him the way I thought I loved him? I should be devastated and crying right now. And I was not crying couldn't cry. And I remember I went upstairs to bed and lying in my bed, I was not crying. I felt like my whole body was a bruise. I felt like my whole body was vibrating. I was like, I could feel this vibration running through me and I could feel it in the soles of my feet, but no tears, no tears. And I kept thinking, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? It was two days before I cried the first morning after I didn't have time to cry. (laughs) His sons had decided that the thing to do would be to drive up to where I was. And, um, I, they rang my phone. So funny because I was awake until almost six o'clock in the morning. You know, I didn't go to sleep that night, that first night. And I'm sure any of you listening probably didn't go to sleep that first night either. Finally, around six o'clock in the morning, I drifted off, and by 7.10, my phone was ringing. I know. They didn't know. They didn't realize that I had not slept, and they said, you know, we decided the right thing to do would be to drive up there, and we are just coming up on your exit right now. We'll be there in a few minutes. And I was like, thank you, okay, hung up and went flying downstairs to put coffee on and put some clothes on. Um, (laughs) So I didn't have time to even think. Might have been a good thing. Maybe not. I don't know. But the truth was, you know, we went through the day together. We went to talk to the funeral director and we had a family viewing of the body. The boys choked up and cried a little. I still did not cry, I still did not have tears. It wasn't until that next morning when I woke up and started to head downstairs and I just fell apart right there, like on the top stair. And I sat down on the staircase and I had a good cry. And then I thought, okay, I need to go down and make myself a cup of coffee. And I headed down the stairs and I only made it about halfway down the stairs and I sat down and cried again. And then I made it all the way downstairs, but kind of collapsed into that first chair that was in my living room and sobbed for a while. And after that, I was able to kind of pull myself together to go into the kitchen and make coffee. So for the first 48 hours, maybe less than 40, the first day and a half, I did not, I was not able to cry and here's why I didn't realize it. And it was the strangest thing. I got a phone call a few days after Jim died uh, from a friend who Jim used to volunteer at the hospital gift shop and she worked there too on a different shift, but she knew Jim, you know, everybody at the gift shop knew Jim. I think everybody at the hospital knew Jim. He was just an absolute character And at first she hesitated to call me because she felt like, you know, I'm not a close friend. I'm just an acquaintance. But then she picked up the phone and called me anyway because she was a widow and had been widowed for almost a year. And it was one of the best phone calls I could have gotten at that time because her first words to me were, Joanne, you need to understand that you're in shock. And as soon as she said it, it made perfect sense to me. I understood completely that this is why I couldn't cry that first night. I was, um, I had worked for medical records companies and transcribed medical records and gained quite a bit of medical knowledge. So I knew exactly what a state of shock was. So as soon as she said to me, you're in a state of shock, it rang so true. And I knew I was removed from contact with my own body. It's like I wasn't even quite connected. And shock takes a long time to slowly wear off, right? It's part of that cotton batting around your brain. It's the way your mind takes care of you. At first, you're like in a complete fog. Slowly, the layers start to come off, but a little pain seeps in, a little more pain seeps in. And slowly, 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 the fog is not something wrong with you. You are not broken. It is everything right with you because your brain is doing exactly what it's supposed to do to take care of you. Now, if you're a new widow, you may be thinking, how long does this fog take? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but I will tell you some of my own experience. Part of my own experience was the fact that I thought I was fine. I thought I could handle it. And when I got about 6 months out from being widowed, I suddenly realized, oh, all those months I thought I was handling this, I really wasn't. <laughs> it was like the fog had started to lift at 6 months and I went, "Oh, yeah, okay, this is this is kind of what normal is supposed to be." And even at that point, normal wasn't normal. And I don't know if at four years out, I am even still normal now. I'm a lot closer to being able to think clearly and, you know, I can make decisions now. Um, But boy, in that first year, it wasn't at all. And so many of us think, I got this. I don't need help. And we really do. I We just don't realize it. We don't realize that we do need A little bit of a leg up. We need to realize that, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to send a check to the wrong place. You're going to forget to pay a bill that you would have never forgotten to pay. All of these things are just part of the process. It's part of being in that fog, right? It is all going to happen just that way. And you have to be able to let go and forgive yourself and know that this is kind of where your mind is. Now, for me, the state of shock went so far to the point that I realized that I was not recognizing the faces of people that I truly knew. It wasn't as if Like, oh my gosh, have you ever been in the grocery store and somebody comes up and says, oh, hi, and they know your name and they recognize you. And then you realize, oh, we went to high school together, but you couldn't place them immediately because it had been too many years, right? So it was a little bit like that, except that it was people that I currently knew in my life. I would run into somebody on the street. They would ask me how I was doing. Of course I would say I'm fine, which is like the big lie that widows say, because we don't want to spill our guts out on the sidewalk. Right? So when someone says, Oh, how are you? You're like, I'm fine. I'm handling it. And when you're not, And I would tell them all this and we would talk and chat and then I would turn around to come home feeling really confused because I had no idea. It was like I was talking to a complete and perfect stranger and maybe five minutes later I would go, oh, that was my neighbor from three doors down. I know them, right? It was somebody that was like currently present in my life that I was shocked that I couldn't recognize them or didn't know them until later my brain placed it. And this was happening so much that I finally went to my family doctor. He was also Jim's family doctor, our family doctor, and explained to him and said, you know, I'm just not even recognizing people, people that I absolutely know who they are. This isn't minor acquaintances that I can't place at first. These are my neighbors. And it's like their face, my brain can't decipher their face. And I, you know, I was terrified something is really wrong, something is really broken. And he, thank God, he understood. I'm not sure every doctor would, he put a hand on my shoulder and he said, Joanne, don't worry about this. This is just part of the grief. If you get another six months down the road here and you're still experiencing this at that time, we might want to take a closer look and maybe even do brain scans. But right now I think you're just, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You'll get through this. Um, And he was right, it passed, that intensity of it passed. But boy, what a scary thing that was when I thought, I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind. I can't remember where I filed things away. I can't remember where I put things down. And for heaven's sakes, my brain can't decipher faces, (laughs) right? They might as well have all been pink balloons walking around. I couldn't tell one from the other. So that is how deep that shock can go. And here's the truth. We should not be beating ourselves up for the things that we can't get right. Especially the first year, the first two years as a widow, give yourself a break, ladies. That's why in my book, I talk about you get a widow pass. You get a widow pass. You get to go find what makes you happy and you do that and you forgive yourself for the small emissions, the misplaced papers, even dancing naked in your living room with the drapes open, <laughs> right? This is what my friend told me. She said, if you need to dance naked in your living room with the drapes open, forget about your neighbors, you just get a pass on it because you get to do whatever it is you need to do for you, you have a widow pass that says, I get to do whatever I need to do for me. And anything I screw up, I am immediately and forever forgiven. That, my friends, is your widow pass. So if you feel that you are in a fog, if you are questioning why you felt unemotional at the time, understand that it is just a natural part of being in a state of shock when you first become widowed. If all your friends seem to disappear, it is not just because of you. It's nothing about you. It's everything about them. I have talked to literally thousands of widows now and very few of them say, I had an amazing support system. Very few. Almost every widow I talk to says, I don't get it. Why did all my friends just disappear? At the funeral, they were all saying, If you need anything, just let me know. And then they all just disappeared. Were they lying to me? And I try to explain they can't handle thinking about their own mortality. And when they look at you, they see their own mortality or they see the mortality of their spouse, right? They don't know what to say to us. They don't know how to handle us. They're afraid that we're fragile. They're afraid that we're needy. That's all the things that society expects about widows, right? There's this part of society that thinks we're needy, we're desperate, we're to be pitied, Um, We need people to take care of us. And of course, no one wants to do that. Most people are having trouble taking care of their own selves, right? What they don't understand, and maybe what we don't understand in the beginning is that we are powerful beyond measure. We had no idea how strong we could be until our spouse died. And then we started to discover our strength. And What I want to tell you as a widow from one widow to another is you can make this be the most empowering experience of your life. I know there's post-traumatic stress syndrome after losing your spouse. I think almost every widow experiences some level of PTSD, but in that post-traumatic stress You can experience post-traumatic growth. There are studies on this and you can be launched into accelerated personal growth beyond anything you've ever experienced before in your life. So know that you can become empowered to rediscover who it is you are now. I hear this question from widows all the time. Who am I now? And it's such a surprising question because most of us think of ourselves as very independent women. Like we're strong. We were independent. We had our own job. We weren't relying on our husband to pamper us. It was nice when they did. But then you suddenly realize this strong, independent woman is sitting here unable to make decisions, wondering who am I now? did I lose who I was as in being part of a relationship? You didn't. You just get to rediscover who you are, even redefine who you are now. And then you get to begin to define what kind of future you want in your life, because anything is possible for you. And I know the idea that you could go do anything at all is almost overwhelming. Like there's so many choices of what I could be doing. It's overwhelming. Don't feel overwhelmed. And I want you to know that you can become empowered. I am an example of that. Over four years later, three of those years sitting at this microphone talking to all of you, I want to tell you right now, I am not the woman I was when Jim died, I have become an entirely new person and I would not be who I am right now if he had not passed away. Isn't that shocking? Well, I, of course I would have him be back in a heartbeat, like erase that. And he's still alive. And of course, but you know, that's impossible. And now that I look back on it, I think to myself, oh my gosh, I have not wasted my years after he died, I grew. He's probably so proud of everything I've done. So proud seeing the woman who I've become and I'm still becoming. I want you to know as a widow, you can become empowered. You can work to become the best version of yourself. And I think that is work that is so worth doing the work that is the most worth doing is learning who it is you are now and how to become the best version of you. So that's what I had to say today. That's why I turned on this microphone, even though it's a Tuesday and I never podcast on a Tuesday, this episode will get saved up and it will come out in a few weeks, um, And I'm excited for you all to hear it. Listen, I also have launched the Widow Coaching Center. If you go to widowcoachingcenter.com, you will find it. It's a subscription site with monthly videos that drop in. It's like, I want to say it's like the Netflix of widow coaching, there are coaching videos. It will help you step through this journey. It will help you learn how to empower yourself. It will help you begin to redefine who you are and where you want to be to move to in your future. That's what I created it for, because I understand not every widow out there is ready to go hire a widow coach. Not every widow out there is ready to join me in the widow coaches class, to be trained and learn how to coach widows and become a certified widow coach. If you're not ready for those things, go look at Widow Coaching Center, sign up. There's a one-time registration fee that gives you access to lots of videos and modules. Then there's a low monthly fee after that for the subscription and each month more coaching videos will drop in. It's also the only opportunity you will have to be coached personally by me because I do a monthly live video coaching call for all the members of the widow coaching center right? We have our membership together on a Facebook group. So there is companionship there. There are other people to bounce your ideas off of, and you can get your questions answered by me, or even be coached by me if you wish. I think it's an amazing package that I put together. It's my way of being able to reach even more of you to be able to empower more and more widows. That's what I want to have happen in this country. So go check it out. WidowCoachingCenter.com. You can click I'm in button on the first page. You'll get to the second page where you will see the button where you can join that and sign up for that subscription. I would love to see you all in there. This podcast is something you should share with every widow you meet because this is unique I was the first podcast for widows. I know since then a few other podcasts have come up, but they haven't done many episodes. They've only put a few episodes and disappeared. We are on episode 122. Share this with other widows. Tell them to go look for Widowcast. This is free. I try to give as much of my heart and information and coaching as I can wrapped into a podcast. So get out there this week feel empowered, find your power, forgive yourself for anything you have screwed up for decisions that you feel like I can't decide these things. I can't complete anything. Give yourself a break. Hang on tight to that widow pass because you're going to need it. Right? I love you guys. I'll see you next week.